Hi everyone. I'm Peter and I'm a Caucasian. Um, yeah. I'll try and speak English. Um, I'm not from these parts. I was actually born in London. <laughs> I knew that I'd catch some heat. But um, yeah, I'd like to thank, thank you all for coming in here to listen to me tonight. Um, it's an honor to get a chance to do something like this. Thanks for asking me, you know. Um, I never thought in a million years, you know, the centenary of the East Horizon, where would you be sharing at a CA, CA convention, you know? But um, earlier on, I went up to the room just to see, was this really going out live? And uh, it is. <laughs> so luckily, it's after 10 o'clock. So if, if my foreign accent comes out with words that um, might be uh, offensive, can you hear me now? <laughs> yeah. So, um, as I said, this is going out live, and I'd just like to say hello to Mrs. S. <laughs> I'm sure she's listening, and thanks for standing by me all these years, you know, and especially before. Now, I don't know what's going to come out tonight. Um, a couple of times during the week, Mrs. S said, you're not going to write anything down. Um, up to a few weeks ago, I thought I was actually asked to do something in a small room someplace. That's what my head said anyway. But I have no problem with that. I've done it a couple of times at the conventions. One year, nobody turned up. It was great. <laughs> and uh, a few weeks ago, Someone said, congratulations, you're the main speaker. And I was like, yeah. So I phoned someone, I said, really? <laughs> so yeah, I mean, here I am. Um, I did actually write something. I was telling Matt to travel with me today, actually. The other night I wrote down three words. God help me. <laughs> <laughs> the only other thing I, I actually have that's written and she gave it to me last night, my granddaughter. We were out for a family dinner last night. All, all of us, the whole, the whole bunch. And she gave me this little thing, something like, don't be nervous, take deep breaths, look at the wall, like, and she's eight, you know, and I really like, hit home, you know, I thought, yeah. So I read that actually tonight before I came down. <laughs> anyway, my story. Um, I grew up in the west of Ireland, that's why I got the funny accent. But, um, I used to be, I usually say this when I'm sharing at meetings, you know, I used to be a lying, manipulating, cheating, thieving, drug taking, alcoholic. And today I don't drink and take drugs. <laughs> but I have this, I have, I have this 12-step program, you know, that stops 
the rest of it out and that's what's important, you know. Without without it, God, I don't know where I'd be. Um not to make it a war story, but for ID purposes. Uh, the bad thing is, you know, when I go to I, I've gone to different fellowships by accident or whatever. <laughs> now what I mean by that is I remember a couple of times I got phone calls to do chairs. And uh, one only a few months ago, and I've turned up with this, I'm actually thinking what I'm going to say, and it wasn't the fellowship I thought it was at all. <laughs> so that kind of... But um, of, the, of, the, of the different things I've been to, the, the frightening thing with, that, I, that I found with myself is like uh, I can relate to lots of Lots, no, whatever silly, sick, mad stuff it is, I'm kind of thinking, wow, I'm there. But going back, you know, um, growing up, I was raised, as I said, in the west of Ireland, nice, quiet little town. Lovely family life. Um, The first real, I mean, I knew, uh, from a young age, I think, uh, I knew how to manipulate my mother. I was like her pet. But the first major thing to hit our family was, she died when I was about seven, I think, seven or eight. And that was like <clears throat> the end of the world, you know. There was four of us. Two younger sisters, and I have another sister that's a year younger than me. We're very close today. But at the time, it was like the, the end of the world, you know? And I remember I was old enough, I couldn't really figure out what was after happening and why did it happen. And I remember questioning things like, because uh, I was brought up to go to Mass and stuff like that, but all that at the time was like, that, this, this is wrong. And if there is a God thing, what, you know, why did, he, why did he make this happen, you know? And um, after that, it was good, you know, the family got together, they'd done the best they could to, to raise us. My two younger sisters went to my grandmother's. My father tried to raise me and my next sibling. And it was all right, you know. Those few years, I can just vaguely remember, you know, I didn't like feelings. I had them full on. I didn't want to talk about her. Didn't want to hear anyone. If someone asked me about her, I didn't too. And I'd started, I think, I think it was about nine or ten and um, as there was no you could say my father worked hard um, he wasn't around a lot but I became very I went out a lot at a young age became very streetwise quick and it was around then I experienced that drink could make me feel better and drink gave me courage to even talk about my mother. 
drink gave me courage to be part of an old, I, I kind of, I was attracted to a more older, couple of years older generation, and wild. And it gave me courage to get things that I wanted, in other words, steam. Um, and, and that's, you know, that was basically it, you know. I was well aware of drink and drugs, for that matter. Um, cannabis was a herb that was grown. Um, I didn't think that was a drug, but that just made you feel better when you were too drunk or whatever. But that lifestyle that I was leading got ended up in situations where I basically had to leave Ireland very young, between court cases, jails, whatever. At this stage of my life, I, 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 I was well. I, I knew how to change the way I felt, basically. There's many, many, many stories, even in those few years from a young age, you know. I'll leave that for a book. But um, I had to get out of Ireland. I, I, came, I came back over here, I was 15. How I remember it well is because um, about three weeks afterwards, when I turned 16, I was able to get the dole. I know that's a mad thing, but it was like a wage. <laughs> Um, and I think I was the last one in the country to get the dole at 16 because it was a Friday and the following Monday the thing was changed to 18. And, uh, not a proud thing to say but it, it was very important. <laughs> it was very important in my life. And I'll tell you why. Vodka. <laughs> Thanks for the vodka, Russell. <laughs> no. This, this, this new thing I'd learned, you know, um, I just had to go and sign my name and I could get money and I had my first flat. So basically, you know, I have kids myself and um, even my 29-year-old, I think he's very young. So, thinking about it and looking at it that way, geez, I was very young in London, you know, in the flat. And, and having this, you know, attitude about getting what I want, however I wanted it, and didn't know I could get it by signing a piece of paper and stuff like that, and have a flat. And it started there, you know. My drinking and drugging then, you know, was mad. I can honestly say, you know, I think I spent many, many years in blackout, you know. Every now and again I get a flashback of something or other, but most of those years it was like taking off the tube stations that you wake up sleeping. How many police stations in which parts of London you'd wake up being done for drunken disorderly? Stupid things like that, you know? Getting barred from pubs all over, north, south, north and south of the river. 
It was just a mad lifestyle. In the meantime, I used to go back a lot, cause trouble back at home. But like, it never dawned on me at any stage then that I had a drink problem or I was greedy or manipulator or didn't know what a drug addict was. The, um, it was around that time, I think I was 21, I've often heard in the rooms, I took a hostage. As it said, you know, I got together with my first partner. We had three kids. And as I said earlier, you know, even those years, it was just mad, you know. Some days, you drinking at the end of the street, wouldn't bother me. I'm sure they remember those, those days, you know. Other days I was running a pub. Never forget that one. You know, I was mad. I went from met. I was actually drinking in a park. Met someone I knew. Kicked the bottle away and made on that everything was all right. I was just sunning myself in the park. And he says, "You doing anything tonight? You want to work?" I'm, I'm running a pub. And I, of course I do. You know. Next thing, um, I'm working in pubs. Brilliant. All them lads are dead now from drinking, all looking back. That led to my, my, my ex-partner. She um, ended up getting a job in the pub as well. And uh, I didn't like that. She, she reminded me you're one of these tenders, Angie or whatever it is. But uh, I got angry around that time as well. So she barred me. And then there was this pub watch scheme. So I was barred out of every pub in East London. My picture and everything was embarrassing. <laughs> but that's basically, you know, that was it, you know. We split up then. Um, oh yeah, I must say as well, you know, one thing I did do those last few years, and I'll probably relate it in a while, especially with the big book, because the big book to me is like, I'm an electrician, you see, and I've got a regulation book for, for uh, things I do in electrics. And uh, why they go hand in hand together is like, I'm glad I was an alcoholic because I spent five years going to school learning to be doing all these extra courses of electrics, but the reality of it was that I couldn't be stopped from going out. It was like, and I couldn't wait to do the next course, you know? So, if I wasn't an alcoholic, I don't think that would have happened, and I probably wouldn't be an electrician, I probably wouldn't be here today. <laughs> but, you know, moving on, <laughs> moving on, you know? There was lots of periods in those few years as well, you know, things happened, bad things, things that would like, I'm sure make a normal person stop, you know. I had an accident in that period as well, you know, car crash, and a good friend of mine that I grew up with died in my arms. Didn't, it, even though it was my fault, and I, I, I used that one for a few years afterwards. 
didn't stop me, you know. And if I'm honest, it didn't even stop me drink driving. And it was also in that period when I witnessed some poor fellow dying of an overdose one night in the squat. And we all just left him there, you know. Didn't stop me looking back, you know. As I said, it was mad those few years. We in, the, we in the end we split up, I moved on, um, I moved back up to North London and strangely enough, the woman I'm married to now, I didn't say at the beginning of the chair but I'd been with her years ago and um, we split up, split up back then, um, how would I put it, well my ex got pregnant basically and I'd done the honourable thing and went back to my ex. But after, after we split up, definitely she came back into my life, it's just Again, I leave it for the book. I could spend it. I'd bore you to tears with it. It's like a love story. But um, <laughs> we got in contact again. And at this stage of my life, though, I, I knew, you know, I'd been kind of. I had a few moments of like. I'm in a bed sit in North London. I have three kids. Where am I going? If I stay away from the top shelf and just drink that. I won't touch any of that powder stuff, blah, blah. And I was trying to play the control game, you know. I still didn't dawn to me at any stage that I had a problem. I knew, I knew something was wrong, but I honestly believed that I'm better than that. I couldn't, I, I, I can control this, you know. And, now that I'd met up again, I had this great vision that that's what I'll do. I'll move out of this country, move over to the Middle East, because over there they don't have pubs and I won't be able to get any gear and life will be good, you know. And that's what I do. I don't think I'd arrived in the place a week and I think I'd found the worst places with maggots wouldn't crawl. It was just mad. We got married even. We, we, we went off to Cyprus to get married. I, I was just drunk all the time, that's the truth. And we came back after our honeymoon and I vanished for a week or something. A few nights, I don't know. But, um, It was just session after session and the odd bit of in-between of shame and remorse and I'm sorry and that won't happen again, I don't know what happened there, you won't believe who I met and all this bullshit. But I was starting to realise, well, maybe something isn't right. I know what it is, it's this stupid place, the sun 
too much sun and I don't even speak the language and I miss my other kids, that's why I'm gone like this, so I thought I'd move back here, you know. So back I came. She followed me, gave up a great job. Musa as well that we had a daughter. Leanne, I think she was a couple of months, but she followed me back here, gave up her job, her flat, everything. And again, I wasn't back here too long, and I was back up to the same antics again, and drink driving. Then someone one night said something horrible to me in a pub, he says, you're going to kill someone, like you did before, and I was like, what? How dare you say something like that? Really hurt my feelings again, you know? But then the most amazing thing happened. Where's the vodka? <laughs> now even though even though over the years you know I was well aware of what cocaine was I was more of a speed in the 80s, 90s cheaper I could get you cocaine I'd talk you into getting you cocaine because I'd rip you off but I never, you know, it never really bothered me as such, you know. I used to just take whatever was going, you know, i just get too pissed or whatever. But this particular time, I'll never forget another Irish thing. It was St. Patrick's Day. And I was in this pub in North London and someone said, try some of this. But I thought to myself, wow, I've landed. Even the way I thought felt different. And I had this like intrusion, whatever the fuck it was. It was like, if, I, if I'd have been on this all my life, instead of being so stingy and mean, this, none of this shit would have happened to me and, I, and I, I, I'd be okay. And that's what I done. I said to your man, I called him over again. I said, don't, don't go ahead and get me, remember that, you know? And he did. And I said, go ahead and get me another one. <laughs> and I think the next day I said, why don't you just get me three and a half of them back altogether? You know, lucky me. I have a habit of getting jobs sometimes, I don't know what it is. People actually imply me I'm supposed to be good at what I do. Well, I am actually. But, you know, I had money at a good job at the time. And that was kind of it, you know, it was like the steps, you know, I kind of handed my life over to cocaine, you know. And it worked. So I thought. It worked great. <coughs> I employed loads of addicts. Came up with great ideas like when we used to get balls of money. Why don't I just buy a big bag with your, with your wages? <laughs> Things like that madness. And you know, it worked. 
There's your wages. Let's sniff this. <laughs> and I got away with it. I don't know how I wasn't killed. <laughs> you know, things like that, you know. Um, and being the type of person I am, even with the drinking, that's how, looking back, you know, when I said earlier, going from a pump bench to working in a pub. I did work in the pub game many years ago as well. As a matter of fact, I was the youngest guy, I think, ever to work in the crown in Cricklewood. Just turned 17, I told him I was 19. And um, that was mad. But because of the way I grew up, as I explained earlier, what I'd done in the Crown and Cricklewood is was I got friendly and gave free points to the hardest looking, meanest people in there. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm, they're looking out for me because I'm there, you know, don't worry about it. The governor couldn't understand that I was actually running a public bar where big men couldn't work it before. But anyway, starting to go off on that. The, um, the type of person I was, you know, even when I drank in pubs, I'd always drink near the service hatch. I'd always get to know the governor. And the reason behind that was because when the pub closed, it was like, you know, the afters or whatever. And the same with when I was buying, buying the drugs. I got sick of buying off people in pubs, you know. I wanted to know where I was coming from. Let's buy loads. And that was good. And at this time, I, I kind of, I became party to a lot of, I used to move it for people, so to speak, so, there was times I didn't even touch, you know, I couldn't get to work. I was kind of delusional, you know. I got friendly with a bloke who used to send me around in my van just dropping stuff off. I loved it. Of course, I was taking bits off it, you know. People were ringing him up saying, this isn't right. I couldn't understand. How the fuck can you tell that there's a small dick and all of that, for fuck's sake? Me. Innocent me. You know. I'll never forget one particular night. I was at this place and, you know, yeah, I could see your man was angry, but I was so wired trying to keep my... <laughs> And smile, you know. <laughs> but here the way the tones were going, I thought, fucking hell, I'm not going to get out of here alive. The man handed me the phone anyway. It was my mate on the phone. He goes, he says, I want you to answer one question now. He says, and how you answer it will determine how you're going to get out of this one. He says, did you take any of the fucking stuff? And I thought, and I thought, he's serious. Because I've been lying to him all the time. And he believed me. And this time I said, you know what? But I tell you, I said, I did. He said, how much? I said, I don't fucking know. But... <laughs> he said, give the phone back. You know, and the man's talking to me. And they're all looking at me like, gee. I was picked up and thrown out of the place. And uh, I went to see my mate afterwards. He... I thought he was going to hit me first. But he goes, you know, he said, you could have been killed. But anyway. That's the way it was, you know. At this stage I wasn't working. I was seriously considering a business in this white powder. I was even having fantasies about 
moving to Colombia. Real estate. And that's the truth. And my good wife, who's still listening, <laughs> I hope, she, she had moved back to her place and she wasn't really interested in me, I think, at this stage. I'd gone back down to the divorce. That was the next thing that was going to happen. But this was all around 9-11-2001. And it was a bad few months, you know. Those few months, I mean, I ended up, this is what I said, cocaine saved my life, you know. The crack, didn't want to touch that. But in those few months, I was bang on that stuff. You know, I used to, for a while, go to places and drop some Charlie off and think, fucking hell, I'm not going to do it. What's he doing that for? Wasting that lovely water. But, you know, I ended up in a bad place. Moved out again. Stayed in a crack house. You know, even that guy that I ripped off, he kicked the door out there one night. Started shouting at the people there and told me to get out and get back to your wife and kids and stuff like that. It was just messy. But to be honest, at this stage, I still didn't believe I had a problem, you know. All that was wrong with me now was that I'd been on crack. And a bit of heroin. <laughs> That's the problem. I'll be alright once I can sort this out. But, I was fucked. That was the period where it actually sunk home that, you know, this shit is real. Because I was making genuine attempts to stop. I can honestly say, I wasn't, like, I was only about three months doing the, doing the brown. But I called talking myself about my own house. My wife would say, yeah, she'd come back. And uh, she took pity on me and said, you need to do something, you know. But thank God for the internet at the time, you know. I googled, I like that word, <laughs> I've got a cocaine problem. And it brought me to the CA website. And that was the start of my journey, you know. I didn't get it first time. I used to go up, it used to be an excuse in the beginning, I used to drive up to North London. I think the first chair I ever had was Scouser. I thought he's a fucking liar. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like when everyone started hugging and things like that. Then someone asked, I think it was Darren Hatcher, said to me, he was another one of the first people I met. He says, you're wired, aren't you? Me? No. <laughs> but I didn't get it, you know, I didn't, first time. But I must say, you know, I related to the stories, that's what attracted me in the beginning, you know. And like I used to the fact of going to college to do my electrician thing, I used the, 
CA meetings to, oh, I can have a user, I know I'll have a user on the way back, that's better, you know. <laughs> but inevitably, it ended up in that crack house in that London, you know, and it got worse and worse. I admitted in, you know, do you know, just, you know what, I have a problem, I need to sort it out. I kept going to the meetings, and I didn't get a sponsor at the beginning, but I believe that I'm one of them people that talks about in the, in the big book, you know, I had to be taken out. So, I done a rehab, fog lifted. I had my first experience then of how this thing works, you know. I thought, what? What's happening here? Because I just done this 13 week detox. I was the best boy leaving the place. I got recovery there. It was a 12 step place as well. And I'd been in the fellowship already and I was going back there now to do it properly and I only left the place two hours and having a drink. Forgot completely. And um, I made it back to England anyway, you know. There was a remarkable thing happened to me at the airport, you know, because my wife was really upset, you know, she said, you might as well stay there, what's the point? So I got really pissed again. I couldn't understand it. I remember at the airport something happened and I was really upset, you know, and out of the blue, this bloke came up to me at the airport, you know, sitting there looking at a point, crying my eyes out. He said, what's on with you, son? I don't know, fucking American, what do you want? But it just turned out he was, happened to be, he was, I was telling him a bit of my story, what happened, you know, and he, he was 23 years or something in AA. I was thinking, what the fuck, how did he come down? So he basically said, put that away, go back to the UK and go to meetings. And that's what I've done. And I must admit, I've often declared five 90-day chips. I didn't get it. I didn't know what it was to get. I got a sponsor. I'd done the steps. I'd done a big step four. Fuck me, it was huge. I met a bloke then at a, one of these conventions, you know, and I'd heard his tapes. And he says to me, you remind, you reminded me of stuff that he talked about, about uh, on page 30. We learned to fully concede, he says, and he said, it looks like you're learning the hard way. And all I thought, okay, smart ass. <laughs> and he says to me then, he says, so what makes you an alcoholic or an addict? And even though I'd heard these tapes, I couldn't fucking answer them in. <laughs> I'd give him like all those stories I've just given you now. Lost this, lost that, bang, but I didn't even know what it was. And I've read the big book and I've done the steps and I've got a sponsor. And he says, you have a fucking clue. <laughs> and we went, I said, okay then. I said, so where is it? Do you ever read the doctor's opinion? And I thought, oh my God. <laughs> and I was thinking, this is ridiculous, you know, and, and, and something happened then anyway. The penny dropped. I learned, for me, then this is my experience, I discovered that, hold on a minute, this is the obsession. I was constantly getting caught by the obsession. If it wasn't, I'm going to buy a half so I won't drink, or I'll have a drink so I won't have a line, or something stupid. I was just constantly getting caught out by the obsession. And I learned, you know, how the fuck do you fight the obsession? And that's when the penny dropped, you know. 
walking these steps, walking these steps to get the power, you know, the power that I don't have. Because I struggled with understanding that, but for some reason I thought, yeah, I've got to do this. So how will I do this? Because obviously, by, even though I do the big book and I do this and I've got sponsors and I've got encyclopedias as step four, so there must be something else I can do if it isn't working for me. Service. That's what I do. I throw myself into service. And that's what I did. I remember I was only back from a relapse. I think it was about four or five months and Ian sitting over there in our Watford meeting suggested I become a GSR. I said, you can't do that. You have to be 12 months. Yeah, you'll be all right. <laughs> and it started there. I thought, okay, the first CA meeting, I'm going to be a GSR. No, I took over from Robbie, went down to London, seen all these eight people, business meetings, and thought, wow. And then I took that on serious because I like, I take things to the limit. And then um, Ian also suggested, why don't you open a meeting in Luton? I thought, what? Me? Good Lord. Took that on board. I don't know if it was the first, but it was. An important part of my, I said, yeah, we do a big book study meeting on a Sunday morning. Because I was always controversial about the big book. And the mad thing was, coincidence, I'd been back in Ireland on holiday and someone said, oh, they heard me say something about big books. I've got 20, do you want them? I said, wow, yeah. It was funny, like, Ryan Nero was like, to pay for these to get book them in. <laughs> Coming back with 20 big books, I think everyone thought, like, what's this guy? <laughs> but they were from my meeting. Sunday morning in Luton, yeah. And then it was great being a part of the new central district. Service, loved it. Becoming a treasurer for nearly how many years? <laughs> I even said I'm a thief for fuck's sake, treasurer. <laughs> but uh, you know. I put my heart into it. Up until now, I, as, as was said about me earlier, you know, it's an honour to do service for CA. You know, I do service now at Area 11. I've been involved with a few others. That's it's come a long way, CA, in the last few years with our website, our office. My title now is UK Office Manager. <laughs> that sounds really good. And, and, and it's an honor to do it, you know. Um, I have a sponsor. I sponsor people. It's not in the book, sponsor, by the way. But anyway, um, I'm not a right-wing big book addict. <laughs> but I walk the steps. And I'm well aware of the nature of my wrongs, as I said earlier. That's what the steps are there for me today, you know. I get up today and the first thing I do is I acknowledge, thank God, and get on with my day because, do you want to know the truth? Anyone that knows me or phones me during the day, I fuck everything up. <laughs> and that's okay too, you know. My wife will tell you, ask her. <laughs> but the long and the short of it is, you know, 
I love this fellowship, you know. The steps are amazing. It's been an amazing journey for me. I'm still learning. I've got a God in my life today. I don't know what God is and I've no right to talk about God. God just is. I've accessed the power by walking these steps. I don't question what it is, I just do what I do. I haven't touched a drink or a drug now in 13 years, you know, a day at a time. Whatever that means. And more, more importantly, you know, I'm a family member today, I'm a dad, I'm a brother, I'm a good son. I've got this, this is all that's going to be in my, in my life, you know. It'll always be, I'll always be here, I wanted to be here for my kids. You know, my, I, I got grown up kids, oh Jesus, you need this problem. <laughs> but that's their life, I can't ruin their life, they've got, to, they've got to do their life. All that I know is that this fellowship will be here for them if they ever need it. I will be too. And I just end with, you know, thanks again to the committee for asking me to share. I hope I haven't bored anyone and thanks for staying with me and I'll leave it at that. Thanks.